Welcome to the Stack of Stats podcast. I am your host, Pam Maldonado, joined by two of my favorite guys in tennis, not two of my two favorite guys in tennis, to talk some ATP news, some notes, and some predictions from the 2022 season, and maybe even look ahead to the 2023 year. With me, I do have Gil Gross, broadcaster for the Tennis Channel and host of the Monday Match Analysis on YouTube. He does absolutely fantastic stuff. I love to watch it because if you want to learn the game of tennis, you definitely want to watch his stuff and you can catch him at Gil underscore Gross on Twitter. Also with me, I have Drew Dinsick, analyst for the NBC Sports Bet and one half of the Deep Dive podcast whale underscore capper on twitter guys we started 2022 together talking tennis i want to close out the season because we're deep into football now um talking tennis with you guys so thank you both for joining me is there any news that we want to share from the last hour (laughs) looks like Djokovic is going to get his uh his australian open uh uh ban repealed so that's cool is that real yeah yeah i think uh the the uh well, this week, yeah, this week. Ah, but that's obviously not the news you're teasing. You're teasing <laughs> that uh, the all-time great Roger Federer stepping away from the sport. In the back of my head, I felt like there was a chance he had already retired, <laughs> you know, and he just hadn't told anyone. This kind of feels like confirmation of that. We're not going to get to see him play another Wimbledon, which is feels like we're getting cheated to a degree. I was not expecting to be as emotional as I was to see Serena's last U.S. Open. And after, as soon as that was over, I was like, I really hope we get that with Federer at Wimbledon. Um, and to be exactly. cheated to that, you know, I, 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 maybe maybe things change. Maybe something changes. Maybe he does go and play one more Wimbledon. Brady so did unretire. Yeah. If Brady can come back from unretirement, Serena seems like she's kind of hinting of coming back from unretirement, referencing her Tom Brady unretirement. Gil, do you think this is literally the last two raw? Because as Drew mentioned, we didn't get a send off. I don't know how to feel about that. Yeah, uh, he's not he's not even playing Basel. So what that, that was tells a you. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> what that tells you is he can't really move and he's going to wow. go out there and play doubles at Labor Cup. Um, When I was at the US Open, there were some things swirling around that were, you know, I mean, they got out there, but I think there were reports in mostly Swiss media that Federer suffered another setback and Uh. that Labor and that um, Basel was in doubt. And as soon as I heard that, it was like, oh boy, you know, how many times how much longer can he do this? Uh, because if you look at the history with the knee since January of 2021, nothing has been on time, you know? And I mean, even, even the comeback and, and the, uh, you know, the ultimately playing that match against Hercotch at Wimbledon in the quarterfinals, and then having to take another extended layoff for the knee. I thought there was, you know, one, one more kind of medical Hail Mary, but unfortunately this doesn't seem like a Tom Brady situation where, you know, if, if it was, if Brady was going to say, okay, I'm done. It's not because his body forced him to call it quits. It's the with same thing Federer. with Serena. Exactly. Same thing with Serena. She could have kept playing or, you know, she can keep playing if she wants, I suppose. I, I don't think Roger has that option. 
Oh, that is so unfortunate. For those of you who are yeah. unfamiliar, within the last hour breaking news, at 41 years old, Roger Federer, literally one of the all-time greats of the sport, announced his retirement this morning with a four-minute yeah. video, voiceover video, essentially a love letter to the game of tennis. And the part of the it all, I will be honest, I am emotional in my old age. I get very sentimental and just very appreciative of the... I'm just very appreciative of talent and whether it is in a sport, whether it's from art, whether it's from whatever it is, a home builder, it doesn't matter. Like if you are a master of your craft, it really does affect me um, and I get emotional about it. So the part that really hit me hard was when Federer had his send off was to the game of tennis. I love you and I will never leave you. And the waterworks just like flowed <laughs> because we all expected it. He hasn't played Wimbledon since July, 2021. As you mentioned, his final event will be the Liver Cup in London next week. 20-time major tennis winner. Um, my favorite all-time Federer match. Djokovic versus Federer 2019 Wimbledon final. 13-12 in the fifth set. It was, I know that Federer has been involved in a load of all-time great matches. For me, that was the moment that like solidified my deep, deep passion for this sport. Um, seeing Djokovic play in just like peak form and Federer play in peak form. And it was back and forth. And it was just, oh, Federer was so close to getting that win. And if he gets that win, we would be having potentially a different conversation here about the all-time slam major um, title records. Um, Is there a favorite match of either one of y'all's of Federer? Yeah, for me, the one that solidified. And I guess I just to take a step back, Federer was the ultimate steward of the game of tennis and the perfect kind of face of it as it moved into sort of the digital age here and kind of ushered the sport into a place that is substantially better than when he came and, you know, came into the sport. I mean, the prize pools, the eyes on the, the, the worldwide recognition of the game, all of it has taken an enormous leap. And I give Federer a ton of that credit for that. Um, and he was kind of the perfect, you know, perfect vehicle for growing the game. Um, my my personal solidification of loving tennis and and just being in absolute awe of what these players are capable of doing was the Australian Open final in 2017, Federer and Nadal. Yeah, Both guys were kind of at a stage in their careers where you didn't know if they had another another act. You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, it's, it's maybe this is over. They both had, you know, coming off of pretty long layoffs. Federer went into that tournament seated maybe like 17th. Um, and you just didn't know if either guy was going to be able to take on the likes of the Andy Murray's and the Djokovic's in that one. And then all of a sudden the top two seeds get bounced and cleared the paths for a Federer Nadal final. That was like, it was so, so high level. The fifth set especially was like every shot was getting challenged because it wasn't obvious (laughs) if it was in or out, they were hitting their marks so closely. Um, and, uh, that was just an absolute all-time war between two of the greatest and one of the better rivalries we'll ever have in the sport. And, um, you know, I, I agree that the Wimbledon final with Djokovic was, uh, also incredible. I didn't think it was played quite as high a level as the Federer Nadal final in Australia was, but it was still just like, you want drama. That's it. Um, and if you didn't love tennis before you saw that you get why it's so unique. Um, there's no other sport where you can have moments throughout a five hour match that have the leverage that you have in a tennis point. 
nothing, right? <laughs> and this is so good. Yeah, it's you know some possession in the middle of the second quarter of an NBA game is not going to have the leverage that that you know the the tie break uh, you know set point is going to have at the end of the second set. You know, you know it's yeah. it's uh, it's yep. it's very unique and awesome to watch. And uh, in my mind, at least, uh, you know, watching Federer was my favorite player for sure. And uh, it's uh, it's going to be uh, you know it's 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 a, tennis is in a better place than it was when he came, but it still is. Uh, it's going to be. Uh, it's going to be a tough adjustment to life without him. How about you, Gil? What's your favorite Federer ma- match? Yeah, uh, first match I ever attended live was the 2009 U.S. Open final between him wow. and Del Potro. So oh, that was my God. Of, <laughs> yeah, that was kind of my first U.S. Open memory. And, uh, you know, I saw the brilliance of what he, you know, despite he, he lost the match and Del Potro was kind of the story there. Um, but... Anytime you saw Roger Federer live, you saw the efficiency and the balance and the shot making almost to, to a point where, you know, some of my great memories are early round matches watching him live at the U.S. Open where he's blowing the brakes off of someone, but he mm-hmm. still is, you know, does something magical enough to make you remember forever. In fact, he hit a tweener winner against Brian Dabool. Okay. And Brian Dabool is a name that I only remember because I was at this match. I don't know that he ever made the top 100 in his career, but he played Federer first round or something at the U.S. Open, and Federer hit that tweener winner, and I remember the moment. I remember where I was sitting. I remember reacting to it with my dad. (laughs) Uh, So he had a way of, you know, he had a gravitational pull even if the match wasn't any good, wasn't competitive, because it was the joy that he kind of brought out of the game. Right. That's awesome. That's very good memories to have. And I'm jealous that you were able to see him live. Last year, I went to the U.S. Open, really hoping to see both Nadal and Federer because I was just having an inkling that both could potentially be on their way out. Of course, neither of them showed up. So I was very fortunate to have still at least seen Novak Djokovic live. And then I had plans to see, to have a six week next year, what I want to do. I haven't traveled like out of the country since pre-pandemic and we had already planned that next year we wanted to do like a six-week grass tour start in yeah. highly Germany with them and go to whatever the tournament stops are and then end at Wimbledon and I was thinking this is where this is where he's going to retire this is where Federer is going to retire I know it he's going to give it one last shot and then this happens so I'm a little bit heartbroken because of that because I mean already here we are like nearly two hours into uh, over an hour since his retirement announcement Nobody's talking about the fact that Roger Federer, the all-time great on grass, now it's Novak Djokovic, but the all-time great Pete Sampras, they're all in the mix, is ending his Wimbledon career on a bagel. He was bageled (laughs) 6-0 to Herbert Hercatch in, what was it, 20? It was a three-straight loss in the quarterfinals at the 2021 Wimbledon. I did not want him to end his Wimbledon career in that fashion do you think something like that clearly he's retired so it doesn't bother him but do you think as a great that it eventually it could that it what where do you think he is with that (laughs) it's kind of like a boxer going out on their shield um Mm -hmm. you know so it's not it's not what anyone would envision or want uh but you know you certainly you can't say Mm -hmm. Federer 
you know, cheated himself. You know, he got right. everything out of out of what his body would would Hello. give him. I mean, what he was 39 mm -hmm. yeah. during that match or 40 yeah. maybe? 40. Yeah. So, you know, he went and and this is important I think to remember. He went way longer than anyone could have imagined. Um and yeah. was playing at a super high level, right? That Australian Open match we're talking about with uh where he's beating Nadal, he's 36 when he plays that match. The 2019 Wimbledon final we're talking about, he's like 38, I want to say, um, when he plays that match. So the longevity was incredible. And at the end, it was, you know, the body top, tapped out on him. But right. how talented was he with his racket and his hand skills and his mind that even really like without build up many um, reps and, and injuries yeah quarterfinals 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 <laughs> and and that's kind of the worst we ever saw from Roger Federer was yeah. he's in a major quarterfinal yeah oh man it is brutal um so Gil do you think that his style of play then I know that we've seen it definitely with players like Carlos Arcaraz do you think of the players that are now on tour his style of play has influenced him has influenced them or are we going to see more of his style of play come into the mix? Or what, what, do you, what mark do you think he's leaving on the future of tennis? Well, he was kind of a child of the... He was the bridge between the modern era and the, the 90s, I would say, mm -hmm. in, in how he played. It was kind of a hybrid. I don't know if it ultimately served him well against the ultra-modernized rivals that... You know, right. he ended up having to deal with in Nadal and Djokovic. Uh, but I, I actually think there is a push and pull, Pam. I think that uh, net play is going to reemerge as That's positionally true. players begin to kind of retreat behind the baseline and defend mm -hmm. extremely well. And, you know, there needs to be uh, ways to finish points mm -hmm. against uh, some of these guys. And I mean, Carlos Alcaraz is actually a great ode to Roger Federer because Absolutely. his his mindset and his mentality is also in the in the Federer vein. Uh he his goal every, you know, for every point is to finish on his terms. Right. Yeah. And uh that's not the way Nadal and, and Djokovic have approached the game. Uh, it's great to see someone kind of uh use bring bring that to a tennis court again, you know, at such a young age. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we always talk about it, how Carlos Arcaraz is very much like Nadal, but he has said time and time again, my idol is Roger Federer. I want to play like Federer. And you you very much see that translate into his skill set, into the play that he has now. But you're talking about it, like maybe what's going to be next for Roger Federer is what I'm most curious about, because I've always said in the last couple of years that I you mentioned the longevity that he had in this sport. Old, 36, 37, 38, 40 making the quarterfinals, still doing such great things within the game. What are we going to see from him? I've always wanted like a tell-all book of like, this is how I was able to sustain this level of play for so long. He, I, wanted, I want him to talk about the longevity and what he did for his body, what he did for his nutrition. Do you think we're going to see him give some type of tell-all book? I want to see him maybe coach is coaching like in the realm of possibilities or is it just uh hey he's done and then we never see him again <laughs> what do you guys think 
I don't think, I mean, he's such a humongous part of just being an ambassador for the sport. There's no way he slides into obscurity. <laughs> he's <laughs> yeah. definitely going to be, uh, you know, you know, that, you know, I don't know what the exact role he ends up choosing for himself. Um, but he's going to have every opportunity imaginable. Um, and, uh, you know, it would be quite cool to see him, uh, you know, continue to mentor certain players. Mm -hmm. He seems to, um, we haven't even mentioned, but he's done really kind of quietly behind the scenes, been a huge part of growing the women's game and getting, you know, women's compensation equal. So, you know, that the idea that, uh, you know, that he all of a sudden, you know, is, is not part of tennis landscape is seems impossible to me. Um, but, uh, a tell all book would be very cool. I don't know that, um, he like Tom Brady, obviously tacked into the TB 12 method and is trying to <laughs> make money based on sort of his longevity. I don't see Roger Federer as that type of a guy just because I don't need it now. He's not you know, cheesy like that. <laughs> He's classy. <laughs> he um, need a, but at the same time, that. like kind of talking about, uh, you know, I, 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 he has a perspective on the game that I think Gil touched on, which is unique, which mm -hmm. is having played against the likes of the Agassiz and the Sampras's and then, you know, all the way through to, um, you know, kind of passing the torch to the next, uh, generation, uh, you know, it's, it, he's, he can tell a story about tennis that no one else can. And so I would love to hear it, but I don't think it's going to be as much a, here's how I did it. Uh, and you can do it too. It's going to be much more of just, I think, again, you know, respect for the game and love of the game. Gil, do you think he could be like a good coach to somebody like Dominic team? That's kind of what I, I'm hoping for. I actually for. don't, I think coaching is, uh, I think it's a little beneath him. Yeah. You know, and and nothing against <laughs> nothing against anyone. You know, some of the greats of the game have have done it, and I think they've yeah. enjoyed it, and we've enjoyed kind of watching. You know, those those legends kind of take on that new role. Uh, but I think Rogers probably uh, thinking bigger. He mm -hmm. he has you know his uh, he has the Laver Cup. Mm -hmm. And I would think along those lines, I wouldn't be surprised if Federer um, essentially is a is a tennis capitalist and and begins to, you know, create these, you know, ventures within the sport uh, through Team 8, his agency and things like that. Uh, I, I would I could really see Federer playing a role in revolutionizing the business side of tennis and becoming almost like a, a part promoter. And I, I don't have these ideas fully fleshed out. I don't think anyone can, but right. I believe we'll see Roger Federer influencing the game in a suit and tie. Um, not so much in, in tennis shorts out on the practice courts <laughs> uh, at, at the U S open. You know what? Not, I actually yeah. don't dislike that. I like that idea. And not to derail the discussion but like the way that golf is being challenged right now by live golf is concerning if you love golf i think yeah i would yeah. like to see federer be able to maybe proactively pivot the way that tennis is sort of handled from a monetary standpoint for the mm. just for the good of the sport and yeah. keep it you know not to say that it needs to be defended from something like live tennis but right. um if that came up i would expect somebody like federer to step in and be able to kind of prevent that hopefully mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> i don't know absolutely 
Well then, to the game of tennis, I love you and I will never leave you. <laughs> that ends our discussion on Roger Federer. We'll move on. There's a um, couple of players that I wanted to touch up on for the year. Of course, one of them having to be Rafa Nadal. Two major wins this year, Australian Open, Roland Garros. Leads the all-time slam record by one with 22. Novak Djokovic behind him at 21. And now, as we know, Federer will forever remain at 20. Nadal, 36 years old. We're talking about longevity of Roger Federer. Here is Nadal at 36 years old, battling chronic injuries, still manages to win twice. Lost to TFO in the round of 16 at the U.S. Open. Gil, looking at Nadal's 2022 season, I mean, the highs were absolutely high and the lows were kind of really low. So it's been a very volatile up and down season for Nadal. What do you... Was there any like major surprise for you that came out of this year? And what are you expecting from Nadal in 2023? Winning him winning the Australian Open is was still a major shock given yeah. how bad the health was towards the tail end of 2021 and and coming in there just with without a lot of matches. So, you know, <clears throat> that was that was the big bonus. Oh, and, and by the way, he hadn't won the Australian open since 2009. Nine, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so, so that was nuts. I mean, but you said it, like it became this really, you look back on it as this very bittersweet year sweet because he barely lost tennis matches mm-hmm. when right healthy, uh, bitter because so often there were physical problems from the hip at in not the hip the uh, ribs at indian wells the foot at roland garros which he fought through um i mean obviously it derailed him in rome and and such uh and then uh finally the the ab um at wimbledon i mean that's like a laundry list of issues that have kind of defined a season so i mean he has said Mm -hmm. many times it was a great year but it was a tough year you know, the positive is that when healthy, he's really playing incredible tennis. Drew, um, regardless of his age, I know that he's 36. He's going to be 37. If he is still kicking heart live and well in 2023, at this point, I think all three of us didn't even peg him to win Roland Garros because of his chronic injury conditions. If he's still around during that time and he's looking pretty fine, even regardless if he's not, from a betting perspective, do you just blind bet Nadal to win Roland Garros again? I don't think you can with Djokovic in the mix and Djokovic now with basically a year off to kind of just, you know, he's, he's Djokovic calendar slam is definitely on in my mind for 2023. Well, um, you were talking about I, him being back for Australian Open. I didn't see that. I missed that. So, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I don't discount the greatness of Alcaraz and very cool that he broke through, but, uh, I would seeing, I do still, we still need to see him be able to get past a, a Djokovic or a Nadal in a best of five setting. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, Djokovic went off as what minus 300 against Nadal mm-hmm. in the quarterfinal. Yeah. I don't yeah. see that the market's going to move that much off of that price unless, uh, you know, Nadal is in absolute superlative physical form, which who knows if we'll ever see that again. Um, mm-hmm. Gil kind of broke down all the injuries and 
that's what we know about. <laughs> I mean, it didn't seem like there was a ton uh, of uh, just in general confidence in his body holding up for years and years to come here. And now that this announcement has come, actually, there were sprinklings and signs and a lot of things around what was going on with Nadal this season that made me wonder, like, does he think this might be his last time his doing last tour xyz or, or you know maybe not like slams but definitely some of the tours tournaments that he played kind of had a feel of you know him this might be my last time doing this i'm going to appreciate this and you know his wimbledon run in particular felt like he kind of knew that this might be the last time i play wimbledon um you know if, if for no, no other reason then it's just that is an especially hard test on right. his body so um you know, the next, that's the next shoe to drop here is when does he decide to retire? And, um, you know, that could come at some point or he could just, he could put it into, I can entirely see he, he, he owes nothing to the sport in terms of availability for all out of these smaller tournaments. So right. if he plays Roland Garros only for the next 10 years, it wouldn't surprise <laughs> me. Um, but at the same time, I, I, you know, I do think, uh, that the, you know, the, the gap between him and the rest of the players on tour, particularly on clay has narrowed significantly. Um, and, uh, and in particular, uh, you know, the way that Djokovic has shaped his game on clay, um, makes him in my mind, uh, you know, your odds on favorite at that tournament in a vacuum. Um, right. now, yeah, a lot of that can change. Gail, I think I asked you this at the last podcast that we did, and I'm going to ask you again, because every time we talk, I'm just going to ask, you're talking about the longevity of Roger Federer. And the reason why he's giving up on the game is because his body physically will not allow him. Whereas Serena Williams, she still has an opportunity to play. She looked good. In my opinion, she, she her movement was fantastic. I'm surprised that she's just I would be surprised if she didn't try to make a comeback because she, I mean, clearly her body is there. Physicality was there. Um, Nadal, his physicality is starting to wane a little bit more and more. How much longer do you think we will have Nadal on tour? This year, like what we saw, I don't think is sustainable for his mental health uh, or his physical health. So I think it, it needs to get better. I think he's on the clock for 2023 basically. And, and if mm -hmm. he can have a, a healthy season, he'll feel good about himself again. Uh, but to me, it, it has reached a point now. It's really good to see that the foot has kind of subsided. And although, you know, the, the injuries could be connected, it could have been some overcompensation and that's why he hurts his ab, you know, you, you get physio physiologists, they'll, they'll go on and on about how the entire body is fully connected. Um, mm. so, so who knows, maybe it is, but, um, the it's good that the foot, which is the long term thing, has has gone away after the ablation operation. Mm -hmm. uh, he needs though to to get some fluidity because uh, eventually this would, you know, if this continues, it it will break him. Yeah. Um, it will break any human. So mm -hmm. there have been years like this in the past, is what I'll say. Right. Uh, I believe twenty eighteen was a year where on hard court, he, he basically broke down every time he stepped on a hard court. Uh, 2018, he retired at the Australian Open and retired at the US Open. So right. then 2019, he had a healthy season. So, you know, it's got to be like that again. There needs to be a bounce back of his health in 2023. If there's not, maybe next year could be the last. 
you're talking about a mixed bag of like he had ups and downs. Uh, he didn't have consistency. You, Novak Djokovic, he's definitely one of those players who really didn't have like a streamline of tournaments throughout the year. Only 28 matches played this year in 2022, essentially taking a forced break because of the COVID situations with his vaccination status. But when he did play 28 matches, 23 and five in those matches, 11 and one in Grand Slams, because of course he won Wimbledon. Do we see him, Drew? You already talked about that we could see him at the Australian Open. If he is able to play, if Novak Djokovic is allowed to play the 2023 Australian Open, do you still make him the favorite knowing his lack of reps? This question is for both of you. Knowing his lack of reps from the 2022 year. Wow. Uh, Gosh, it cuts two ways, right? He's physically 100% because he does not have the wear and tear and fatigue of an entire season. His ranking is going to be... uh, something to be desired, but uh, he is going to be a meaningful favorite against every head to head potential opponent with the exception of Alcaraz, where maybe he's like minus 150 minus 200 ish. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the answer is he should be probably in the plus 120 plus 150 range. If he's there from what I know, by the way, this is all relatively new. The um, apparently the, uh, Australian prime minister who took power in May of 2020 is a quote unquote tennis nut. And uh, he <laughs> doesn't want the Australian open contended without Novak Djokovic there. So he's literally moving public policy uh, in order to, you know, immigration policy in Australia to get this, uh, you know, ban three-year ban overturned um, from what it sounded like, they're just waiting for Novak's camp to file the paperwork to ask for the ban, ban to be overturned and then they'll, they'll rubber stamp it. Um, so I would expect he's there now. I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see what Djokovic does with the rest of this year. There's still mm-hmm. a lot, there's still plenty of tournaments he could play this year. If he wants to try to get some of the rust, you know, get the rust out. Um, if he elects not to do that at all, and it's just like goes into 2023 cold, then those questions about his, uh, you know, the rust are going to be real because there's just not enough of a ramp up uh, to expect that, you know, he's going to just find his form like that. Um, He's not a form player in my mind. Uh, Nadal to me is more of a form guy where he needs to have a lead in. He needs the reps in a Mm -hmm. lead in tournament to really kind of dial in his distance, particularly on his attacking shots. Um, Djokovic just is, he's in, he has come in, uh, he's come off of long layoffs though before and been pretty bad. Uh, but I think that was more injury related than it was just his ability to find his game. So I think I'm it's speculating. fitness, Drew. I, fitness, I think, yeah, that, yeah, you know I, what, actually, I think, yeah, that's a great point. When he doesn't have his legs under him, you know, we know that he can't really lean on his weapons. So I think sometimes he's just come off of vacation, um, long layoffs, and he's been vulnerable because the the fitness just hasn't been great. That's why you know you do make a good point. It's it's going to be fascinating to see how he handles the rest of the year. Uh, is he going to treat it like a regular fall season where he's not all that interested in pushing hard? Or is is he going to mm-hmm. treat this like, okay, let me extend my Australian Open lead up because yeah. ATP Cup, you know, oh, actually that's gone. Whatever's before yeah. Australia is mm. is not going to be enough um, for me. So yeah, that's, that's going to be really interesting to watch. And then Alcaraz is the X factor. 
Like, mm-hmm. how good will Carlos Alcaraz be in 2023? That's going to be, that's the thing. You know, there is now someone who can uh, take the it. There is someone who can take control out of Djokovic's hands. Yeah. That hasn't been true in so long. In it's so been, long. How, how will Novak play? Because yeah. if he plays great, give him the trophy. Mm-hmm. And and now it's, now there's someone who might be able to disrupt that. That's like an exciting 2023 storyline. I'm looking forward to that. Novak Djokovic, the man who holds ATP record for the most weeks at world number one is now number seven in the ATP rankings. And we, if we're looking at the 2022 rankings, not even in the top 10, he is number 15. Gil, do you think these rankings matter to him? Not anymore. I think for a while he was chasing, you know, the number one records, uh, mm-hmm. but he's not going to beat Federer's consecutive weeks at number one record. Mm-hmm. He has every other one, uh, which are are frankly, for the most part, more meaningful, you know, most year end right. number ones in particular, that's probably the king of world number one stats. Mm-hmm. So, so no, it, it just becomes about seeding and yeah. It, it will be tiresome for for Novak if he is not a top eight seed for multiple majors. But in all likelihood, he'll have to deal with that once in Australia, yeah. and then it'll go away. But yeah, like does does he want to see Nick Kyrgios? And I mean, it's Third not round. to be honest. Uh, Nick's Kyrgios ranking is, is kind of high enough now. <laughs> you might not see him. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say Kyrgios is actually a bad example because. Uh, a, a, a high seed could see him early because the Wimbledon points aren't aren't there. So oh, right. that's a bad example. Mm-hmm. D- but you know, does he want to see Medvedev in the quarters? Would be a much right. better way to to frame it. And and yeah, but it's probably just Australia, and then he'll have you know once you're top eight, I think you're fine. Well, you talked about Carlos Alcaraz being the one player that can disrupt, and absolutely, I man, I was. Really excited that the prediction that I made that in, back in January that Carlos Alcaraz will be world number one. He will win a, a major in 2022. I was excited. It happened. It came to fruition. I couldn't have been more thrilled. I think we're talking a lot about it's kind of I know they want to say like passing of the torch. But like for me, as somebody who's been watching tennis for only like the last decade, uh, 12, 15, like 12, yeah, 10 to 12 years, like I got to watch Federer really just excel in the last part years of his career and then now kind of replacing that with seeing Carlos build up his career so that's been just like a real excitement for me but unbelievable 2022 season 19 years old the youngest ever to win a major and be world number one 51 and 9 in 2022 that is just an absolute unbelievable run we're talking about him winning a major but his record for the year 51 and 9 16 and 3 in grand slams 17 and 4 in ATP Masters 1000s, defeating big time name players like Matteo Berrettini, Stefano Sitsipas, Hubert Hurkacz, Kasper Ruud, Rafa Nadal, Alexander Zverev, Yannick Sinner. Who hasn't he played that he hasn't won yet? I mean, Novak Djokovic is up there too. So, Gil, like, what type of what progressions, other than the obvious of Akaras won a major, do you think that he yeah. made from the start of the year to now? It started. At the beginning of the year when he became an absolute physical beast and you know that was the biggest difference um he he needed every ounce of that work that he put in in order to win this us open right spending you know playing five setters from the fourth round uh through the semifinals um you know other than that 
it's hard to pinpoint one thing. Um, it, it was mostly, it was mostly the body and just getting comfortable. But like, I, I suppose the, the weaponry outside of his forehand, like I think seeing him as a young player, he tried to crush the forehand and he had a big forehand, but I don't know that he was just so prolific in finishing at net, using the backhand for offense, using the drop shot as frequently as he would ultimately begin to use it. And then the serve, which is still not a strength that has also gotten way, way better mm-hmm. um, for, for Alcaraz. And it's just fascinating. It's going to be so fascinating to see what is this next off season? What is the focus going to be on? Cause last off season, it was clearly on the physicality, but his team has said that his weight right now is ideal. Like there's no more trying to build up and get stronger. Like he, right. he's a finished product in that area. So now what is Juan Carlos Ferrero and the team, what are they going to hone in on next so that they are better in 2023? I want him to become a counterpuncher. That's the one part of his game that I think he's lacking. What makes Novak Djokovic the best returner in the world is because he knows how to play against these big time servers because he knows how to counterpunch. Uh, Carlos Larcaras, he doesn't have that skill set yet. And this is why you saw him in previous matches get absolutely obliterated with power from Yannick Sinner. Now, this was a best of five. He could have lost this match in four. It was the same type of production, um, but it was a bit of a slower surface. So I think until he tweaks that and he improves in that area, we will continue to see Alcaraz still struggle on faster surfaces such as Wimbledon. Do you, Would you agree with that statement? I think so. Yeah. And in general, um, I like it. I mean, I don't know. I like this game on grass. He's learning <laughs> grass. He's, he, he has a lot to learn about how to play on yeah. grass. Um, but I thought he showed you flashes in Wimbledon that were beyond what you would have expected in his progression, considering his experience. Yeah. Um, I guess I got to credit his team a little bit. He, had a, he was the hottest player all spring no the hottest best player on earth best game on earth like the the market respected him to the degree that i haven't seen that a 19 year old since nadal um and uh you know he without best of five reps it wasn't fair to expect him to do it at roland garros the way that it was um and then i thought his team did a good job of kind of taking their foot off the gas through the grass season just like, like, he's not going to win titles here. Like we don't really gain anything by making him travel to Germany and to, uh, you know, to Netherlands and then London and kind of, you know, try to just, you know, get, take, take it on the chin from players who do know how to play on grass. Well, um, you know, that's not, that's not energy well spent. We'll just go to Wimbledon and then we'll move on. Um, and he didn't really look to have kind of full buy-in that he was competing for titles at Canada or Cincinnati. Um, they mostly were just pointing him at the U S open, which I thought was very, very smart considering how many of his bullets he fired throughout the spring. Um, and ultimately that paid dividends the way that the draw broke for him. Um, and, uh, you know, the best of five wins that he had in that tournament were on, were incredible. Um, particularly the center win, I thought center kind of had his number a little bit, uh, had beaten him in some pretty big moments. Um, and, uh, even in that match where the match, in my opinion, was clearly on Alcaraz's racket, it was still like, he's facing match points. It's like, what, how, how is how? And so to a degree, 
there is a little bit of a sinner might have some weapons that are kryptonite for him, which is fun because we, I would love to see that manifest as a real rivalry because of the, you know, the fact that those guys are in the same age bracket. Um, I think to make that happen, we need sinner to take the physical leap this off season and win the Australian open probably, (laughs) which isn't crazy. Like that's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, But with looking at the rankings right now, uh, Alcraz is going to be number one, probably through the French open, which means he's going to get cherry draws at Australia. He's going to get a cherry draw at Roland Garros. And um, I think that sets him up well to try to pick up another title, you know, here in the near future, which would be exciting and continue to build on what will be ultimately an incredible career. Um, there is no real obvious weakness in, in his game that I need to see him address other than finding a little mm-hmm. bit more on serve. Um, and really that only helps him at the likes of the Australian open and Wimbledon. Uh, I don't know that he needs much more to be considered a co-favorite or second favorite at French open after Djokovic in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the U S open title, defense is on in my mind as well that his game seems perfectly suited for those conditions yep gil whether Um, we see djokovic at the australian open or not would you peg carlos um as like a don't even include djokovic as like a clear favorite to win the australian it's like a yes but for me it it seems it seems like a tough task at this the stage that he's at in his career to win back to back majors um you know to to win your first and then to win your second at the right. at the very ne- it just it it feels historically improbable and even even for him um and I'm I I believe he's well on his way to becoming an all-time great but but uh most of the matches that he's lost and this is a point that I wanted to make anyway have not been because he's been you know outclassed from a mm-hmm. technical standpoint he's just mm. uh shrunk under pressure and played below his level when right. he's needed it uh that's you know he literally hasn't lost a match in straight sets he almost every match he's lost you can point to a really really bad breakpoint conversion uh statistic he's just uh just mentally he hasn't become yet a great match manager um, so, you know, I wonder like if he brings his best in Australia, when it counts, when the chips are down against the best players, yeah, it's up to him. But are there like questions about how difficult it might be for him mentally to do that? I think so. Yeah. We used to right. always talk about, we used to always talk about how Djokovic, um, it was Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, and then everybody else. There's a huge talent gap amongst those three and the rest of the field. Now, maybe this is a bit controversial of a question. Is there a big time talent? What's the talent gap between Djokovic now and Carlos? And then what's the talent gap between Djokovic, Carlos, and the rest of the field? On okay. it depends on it depends on which surface and conditions I think it matters because I still wouldn't put the I think you have to have Nadal in the discussion on Clay, surely. Um, but the rest of the field, just in, just in general, if we're just talking like a, 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 a an Indian Wells, right. right. Where everybody shows up, everybody's playing. Um, there's a gap in my mind between Djokovic, Alcaraz and the rest of the field. And 
part of the reason that there's a gap is because those guys are so great. And the other part is because everybody else that showed promise in that second tier who were in the age group above Alcaraz are starting to disappoint. The Medvedevs, the Sissipasas, the Zverevs, largely because of injury, but still not having broken through at the best of five level. Like you wonder if there is a lost gen part two with those guys. Mm-hmm. They're, better. Too, they're better. They're better. They're definitely better, but they, you know, <laughs> they got the whiff. They got the whiff. Uh, especially yeah. if Alcaraz does kind of crystallize his greatness. Um, but you no, know, to Gil's point though, Australian Open, if Alcaraz wins, then now you're talking about him in a different context entirely. It is it is virtually unheard of to break through as young as Alcaraz has done. And it is even more unheard of to then back that up and win the next slam. Uh, after I mean, what after Nadal won uh, the French, it's not it's not entirely fair to look at his performance at Wimbledon just because he was so not clearly not a grass player. But like, it took him until uh, the took him four seasons before he won a slam on another surface. Mm-hmm. Um, Federer broke through quickly. I mean, Federer took several seasons of best of five tennis before he broke through and won Wimbledon in 03 turned around the next year and could not improve upon his performance at the U S open. He's finished around four, but then the next season won Australian Wimbledon in the U S open. So like you could see that type of a breakthrough potentially if Djokovic doesn't have his, you know, if he doesn't, if he doesn't have it together, then Alcaraz could potentially do something like that next season. But, yeah. uh, a breakthrough and then a back-to-back is it, hard. It, it's just never happened. And so it would be, yeah, you would be right. Rewriting the rewriting the mold. Yeah. He definitely has the ability to though. Alcaraz is more like Nadal um, in the sense that he is clearly, you know, this incredible prospect at 19, but I, I would, you know, if I'm trying to prove, you know, how hard it is to, kind of follow up your your breakthrough major i'd look at djokovic and sampras sampras won the the u.s open in 1990 as a teenager totally wasn't ready to to do it again for the next what two two three seasons um and then djokovic won the 2008 australian open didn't win another until the 2011 um australian open and he he didn't even make a final again until 2010 so he had like a full one two three four yeah he had like 11 Time gap. Sorry. Yeah, he had he had a, a 10, 10 majors in a row where he just did not meet expectations after that win. Yeah. Well, though it is unlikely to happen, I'm not gonna though there's a greater chance of it not happening. I am still holding a Carlos Latgras to win the Australian Open Futures ticket at 10 to 1. I tweeted it out in May that he was going to win a major, so bet him to at 8 to 1 or better yeah. to win the US Open, bet him again to win the 2023 Australian. So I'm happy holding that since right now he is a the third favorite behind Djokovic behind Medvedev at three and a half to one. So that's all I can do is hey, I have a good number. But I am looking forward to watching him see what happens in 2023. I think his progression is still definitely there. I think he's capable and I know history is not as on his side to win back-to-back majors, but I honestly wouldn't be surprised if it happened. I guess so here's, then, here's one thing I'll add. We, we're doing historical context with all-time greats. So this yeah. is, we're already in some rare air here, right? <laughs> <laughs> I will say like, like we're saying like, ah, oh, Djokovic took all these, he had Nadal and Federer in his way, right? Yeah. Who's he also, look, Alcaraz is more <laughs> yeah. ready. 
he's, he's just he's more ready. He's more ready. I agree. And yeah, if if his ultimately if his coach, pattern if his pattern of wins and finals at slam level, if it looks more like Federer does from like 2003 through those next five years, we shouldn't be surprised by that. Just because I feel like in that time window, Federer was so clearly the class of the tour that you know he that that's just sort of that was that was right. Um, there was and, a time yeah. in 2017, I think it was 2017. There's a time in 2017, 2018, or was it 2018, 2019, where I just bet Novak futures on everything. And they all hit. I'm yeah. feeling that same way about Carlos. <laughs> and well, I'm, let me, I guess, I yeah. let me ask Gil this because the center is sort of the wild card here. Do you yeah. think he has the ability to reach that level as well and be a foil at the Australian at the Wimbledon? Like, could we see an era where those guys are trading French and U.S.? versus Wimbledon and Australian. Mm-hmm. It, I, I think you you kind of nailed it when you said Sinner needs to take that next, that physical leap. Physical. Because I think right now, this season, and if you look at Wimbledon and Umag, uh, at Wimbledon, he's kind of coasting on very, you know, grass-specific advantages. You know, he, he's lowering his center of gravity better um, in response to the low and quick bounce. He's uh, serving second serves into the body at, you know, instead of using the kick serve, like they're very grass specific. And then in Umag, it's just, it's all mental. It's just Sinner playing clutch and rising to the, to the occasion when scoreboard pressure hits and Alcaraz literally just making poor decisions and bad mistakes whenever he needs to actually bear down and win an important point. Um, so it, I don't think Sinner is going to have as much of of that mental edge moving forward because I think Alcaraz has has begun to figure that out and and did it the U.S. Open where he literally said the pressure got to me I need to change something. Ferrero told him, "Dude, just have fun. Like whatever you do, have fun and stop focusing so much on the results and the numbers. Uh, go to the net. Just go to the net all time, all the time. Whatever is going to make let you have fun on the court." So they kind of solved that. And obviously the confidence and the belief will come with having a major under his belt. So I've always felt like Alcaraz is the better prospect compared to Sinner. Mm-hmm. I I still feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, Sinner, Sinner needs to Sinner needs to start to you know try to match that athleticism at a certain point. I don't know if that's going to happen. It'll be a good rivalry, but I don't think Sinner is going to be like a barrier. Um, I would never make him the favorite. I would never make Sinner the favorite. If they ever play again and they end up, no matter what the surface is, maybe on grass, I mean, I would never make Sinner the favorite. And I think the big kicker for me is that Carlos, he forever has just a bag of weapons. And that bag of weapons is going to be what capitalizes a win in a match against Sinner. Whereas Sinner, all he has going for him is the power. He's still a baseliner. He still lacks the weaponry that Carlos has that Novak Djokovic has. So could he be competitive and could it be fun and thrilling? Absolutely. But eventually the weapons that Carlos has are going to be able to he'll hone in on them and learn how, what he needs to defeat consistently somebody like a center. He's got a better serve though. And, and he, he puts more balls in the court on a more, right. So he simplified, he has a very simplified approach. That's what's helped him in pressure situations against Alcaraz because uh, Carlitos 
again, struggles with his decision making and Sinner is yeah. just like the the guy knows what he's doing in terms of yeah. what he's doing point in, point out, um, and and playing the percentages. And he's a great returner, makes like every return in play, and he's kind of bullied the Alcaraz serve in some of these matchups as well. So like th- there have been, you know, legitimate issues for Alcaraz in in that head to head, no doubt. But uh, I just think he's gonna get over the hump like he did at the US Open and more comfortably in the future. Yeah. Well, the the perfectly good context for us to end up on talking about the greatest storyline of the 2022 year, 19-year-old Carlos Alcaraz absolutely destroying the field. Um any guys, any I know we're in September and we still have many months to go, but what is like one last question, is there anything you would like to see happen in 2023? Hmm. Me, I, mean, I want to see team. I want to see team get back to form. Uh, yeah. I'd yeah. love that. That would be amazing. Surely. Um, it's very as well. Um, I want to see Medvedev and Tsitsipas mentally 100%. We know what they can do on mm-hmm. their respective surfaces. They are a problem. Tsitsipas on clay, Medvedev on hard court. I still think Medvedev can be a great grass court player. Mm-hmm. Um, we know about Nadal and Djokovic and Alcaraz right now and what they bring to the table. Uh, but with those other two guys, I'm not sure where we're at right now. And mm. uh, I'd love to see strong 2023s from them. Yeah. yeah I think here's my request list in no particular order. Uh, I'd like to see one more Nadal uh, Djokovic French Open match. Yes. Um, I'd like to see, uh, I'd like to see some high stakes Djokovic Alcaraz. Um, mm. That would be really, really good. I, Cause I, you know, we saw what Madrid was the one. Head to head, yeah. we got between those guys. Yeah. That had that, that was a fantastic that, match. Yeah, that had like fireworks potential. Like, oh man! And at yeah. that time, I didn't even think Djokovic was really like he wasn't really match fit yet. You know, exactly. He was kind of coming up, and Alcaraz similarly is going to be oh. more dangerous next time. So that could be potentially hugely awesome fireworks. Um, definitely would love the tour will be better if team comes back in physical form. If uh, if you know. Uh, Zverev comes back into physical peak, you know, and, and Medvedev and Sissipas can shake whatever demons are going on with those guys. Um, among the young players and or breakthroughs, I would love to see uh, Felix just Skip. just find some consistency for a slam and have that give him some sort of co- the confidence he needs to be his best self on the tennis court over sustained periods. Um, similarly, it would be cool if Nick Kyrgios uses the success he found this year and doubles down on his, his enthusiasm for the game of tennis. <laughs> he cares mm-hmm. like see Nick care. I'd like to see Felix, uh, you know, crack his demons. And, uh, and then at that point you're talking about, uh, you know, a, an especially awesome tour because, you know, there's promise in the Matteo Berrettini's there's promise in the sinners, um, and you know you're going to get consistent performance out of the Roods and the Cam Norries at this stage. So it's mm-hmm. it's a you know it's going to make for really good slams in general if you have that quality of a field. And uh, you know I think overall reflecting on these last four, it did it the men's side felt a little less dramatic and a little less awesome than it could have been. Yeah. So then my two requests 
great request, by the way, from both of you. My my request would be that we see Dominic Team get back to form and back to his winning ways against these big time players in big tournaments, not challengers. And then um, also, I'd like to see Francis Tiafo utilize some of that momentum that he has picked up at this year's Australian Open and really run with it. And now this is your this is your new level that you're going to consistently stay at. Not oh he does good occasionally. Oh he can be like a boom or bust. No, I want you to be a boom because you have the talent too. And I'd like to see that progression yeah. in 2023. That would be yeah. awesome. That's a good call. Yeah. We probably um, just Drew mentioning Curios made me think about it. We probably didn't give him enough respect in this podcast as. An Australian Open fact. Yeah, surely. Yeah. Uh, you know, because I, I actually don't think that his newfound desire to do fitness and give a hundred percent effort during his matches, uh, I don't think that's actually going away. I think it's here to stay. Yeah, it seemed like his Australian doubles championship was a mental breakthrough, at least from what I've seen and read and heard him say. Um, and so you know, he he's always always, always going to be a wild card to just sort of lose his mind in any moment in a match. Exactly. I but... just think for me, I think for me, it's just like prove it. <laughs> and every time he's about to, he does something to throw it off and it's like, all right, I'm done with you again. So that's why that's per it. It was not by design. It, it is by design that he was purposely left out this podcast because well, he's still in a yeah. prove it to me situation. At the same time though, by design, if there was a player whose strengths were were well tailored by design to do well at right. Australia. It's him. <laughs> so he should be a factor. This will there. not be our last podcast, but I really wanted to thank you guys for hopping on with me because I love tennis. I love talking tennis with you guys. It's been a fantastic 2022 year and we will probably reconvene, I would say for the Australian open because we've got football and yes, that kind of trumps tennis at this moment. So you can find Gil Gross, Channis channel broadcaster and host of the Monday match analysis on YouTube, Gil underscore gross on Twitter. You can find Drew Dinsick, analyst for the NBC Sports Bet and the Deep Dive podcast on Twitter at well underscore capper. And you can follow me on Twitter at Pamela M35. Guys, thank you once again for absolutely just nailing this podcast. The conversations were great and I appreciate you both. Always fun. Thank you. Yep. Best of luck.